everyone, it's Caleb, and I'm so excited that you've decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me. Welcome to the Learner's Corner Podcast. I have a great guest for you today. Today, my guest is Melinda Joy Mingo, and she has recently released the book called The Colors of Culture, The Beauty of Diverse Friendships. And Melinda Joy is an ordained minister, professor, cultural capacity expert, and entrepreneur based in Colorado Springs. She is the founder of Genie International Ministry and Significant Life Change Incorporated and has developed multicultural initiatives both at home and abroad. She also holds a PhD in global leadership and an honorary doctorate in urban transformative leadership. And so excited to bring our conversation to you today because on the learner's quarter, we truly want to create a safe place to have dangerous conversations, to have any type of conversation, because we truly believe that we can learn from anyone and from everyone, from anything and from everything. And we believe that this is a place to where we can talk with people who are different than us. We we can continue to learn and grow as human beings. And so excited uh, that you've decided to just by choosing to listen to this podcast, to start that journey or to continue that journey with us here in the Learner's Corner. And before we get into my conversation with Melinda Joy, I want to let you know that uh, the music that you're listening to is brought to you by my good friend, Sam Massey. And if you have any audio or video needs, be sure to hit him up. His Instagram handle is at I almost gave you my Instagram handle, um, which if you want to uh, reach out to me, you can hit me up at uh, Caleb J. Mason. But if you want to hit up Sam for any audio or video needs, be sure to hit him up at his Instagram handle, sammassey 77 And as I mentioned earlier, uh, today I'm talking with Melinda Joy Mingo, and here is our conversation. Melinda Joy, it is such a great pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Yeah, well, thank you. I I appreciate the invitation. I mean, that's it's an honor. Thank you. Yeah, and just as we're getting started, I would just love uh, to just ask you because you're also you're also a pastor, and you also yeah. have a, a PhD in global leadership and an honorary doctorate in urban transformative leadership. And I always just love uh, people who. Uh, from maybe the outside, they can sometimes be like a little bit of contradictory things, but I know that it's that that's not the case. And I would just love to know how how does that play out in in your life today, and using those uh, degrees and everything that you learned through that. Yeah, thank you. So so urban transformative leadership um, it basically means how do we take the gospel in an urban setting, uh, in our cities, in our communities, and how it becomes not just a religious thing. If I could say that, but how it really becomes transformative. So um, the honorary doctorate came because I do a lot of work with gang members. And uh, so what I, I want to say, gang members in the sense of helping people to come out of gangs and all, all these kind of uh, lifestyles. And so when I was asked years ago to help pilot a program in Denver, which would literally um, bring people who were in the Crips and the Bloods kind of out of these here places 
through some healthy leadership, transformative things, helping them to come to know Jesus and all. I volunteer and I said, yes. So I became a director of this program in Denver, which is called, um, it was called Life Skills Green Jobs. And so with that, um, I led an entire city of Denver in how to reach our most marginalized populations, especially people who were coming out of seminaries and, and just young people who wanted to really, you know, not necessarily be stuck in tradition, but to really go out in the streets and all of this. So, so that whole movement came about of taking the gospel in the streets. And so we started calling it God's mobile home. You know how you have maybe a mobile unit that would go out and do, you know, blood pressure screenings or something. So we had a mobile unit that we called uh, God's home and we would take it throughout the streets of Denver. We would meet with people and, uh, all of that. We would share the gospel, whether it's with the homeless under bridges or people who would come out of their offices during their lunch period and come down with us. And we would meet in the city parks. We have people who were coming out of gang life and they wanted to really understand Jesus. Folks coming out of prostitution, drug addiction. So all of those people kind of on the margins who didn't feel quite comfortable in a traditional traditional uh, Sunday morning setting, who but still wanted to be discipled. Yeah. What have you learned about like leading in in an urban context as opposed to like like a business or a workplace environment? That um, yeah. What what's the difference that you've seen between leading in like an urban environment and maybe like a workplace or a business environment? Well, you know, I see both. So I'm a business person. I am a professor uh, and I am a business and I teach business actually. And I've been an HR director. My difference is only contextualized by what the Lord wants to do. And so the same message of love, the same message of redemption, um, I take that everywhere. If I'm talking to someone on Wall Street where I've been, where I've done a lot of work. If I'm on Wall Street, I'm still talking about the redemption of hope that God wants to give an abundant life beyond what you have. If I'm talking to someone who is um, just out in the streets, what I've come to realize, Caleb, is a lot of times when we see people, we don't know their stories. And so we can see someone in a homeless shelter, they could have been a CEO of a corporation and now they're in there. So so I always ask the Lord in, in whatever context I'm in, how do I still become the mirror of you and looking at the incarnational life of Jesus? Jesus was relational. I was telling someone yesterday, there's more accounts of him reclining at people's tables. <laughs> he was eating, even told Zacchaeus, come down because I got to come and eat at your table. And so we make it a very relational gospel. Mm-hmm. What helps you, uh, or what do you do to get to know people's stories better? I, it's going to sound so cheesy, but I listen. Mm-hmm. I make myself available, and I have the heart of a listener. And and um, I share my stories. I'm very vulnerable and transparent with my life. I don't just ask people when I first meet them, so tell me what you do. You know, the proverbial thing. So what do you do in life? And so people feel compelled to try to come up with, oh, I'm an accountant, I'm a this or whatever. So I, I don't ask people that. I just ask them, hey, what is it about you that I need to know, that you would like to share? And so I listen, and stories evolve from me actually being vulnerable with my life, sharing how I've come to the Lord, you know, as well. Wow. I love I love that. <laughs> uh, 
uh, any other thoughts on that? Yeah, I'll just say, so when, when I think of a relational gospel, I just think we make it too difficult. And I'm not saying we as you and I, but I mean, as a society that fear paralyzes people from getting to know each other. You know what I'm saying? It paralyzes. Well, you know, we look at this on the red, uh, we see this on on the news, we see this happening over here. So we become paralyzed. And instead of really being intentional on reaching out to people, because most people want to share their stories. <laughs> Honestly, I think we're in a place now in a time where, where what's really interesting to me is that maybe our stories might not always intersect at the heart, but they intersect somewhere. And when people come to know Jesus, now we're going to intersect at the place of redemption. And so stories are everything. I mean, I've traveled all over the world and teaching, mission, being a missionary, et cetera. And here's what I realized is that people are human beings. And while we get so caught up in trying to navigate and scrutinize sometimes people's lives, I don't. I just always say, Father, I want to be a person of empathetic understanding. And so that's going to allow me to to be invited into people's stories. They don't invite when they feel people are going to be judged, when they're going to be judged. Yeah. What? Uh, and, and this may be uh, a long uh, answer to a question, and I'm perfectly fine. Take as much time as you need. But what, is, what has helped you build that empathy, like, to have for people? Because, like, I just know for myself, it, it, it hasn't been a natural thing. It's something that I've developed in myself. And so what, what has helped you develop that empathy in yourself for other people? Yeah, that's a great question. So it's, it's several things here. I think number one is everything that I do, I want it to be rooted in the life of Jesus. And I say that so sincerely that I want my life to mirror Jesus and Jesus' life. And he was empathetic to people. It says, you know, when he saw the multitudes, he was filled with compassion, that they were hungry and, and all. And so I've asked the Lord to give me an empathetic heart for people. I've asked him to let me suspend, suspend any judgments that I have for people. Because again, until I'm willing to have some measure of understanding, I can't build any relationships. I think my own life, I, I, I often have a saying that our pain has a mission attached to it. And all of us as human beings, regardless of our race or our ethnicity or lifestyles, we've all had some measure of something in life where we can intersect. And so for me, you know, I've had I've had a pretty rough life growing up in inner city Chicago. I understand firsthand severe poverty. I know what it means to not have food, not being able to go to a food pantry, to, to drink water and sugar and together and have mustard bread. And, and I know what it means to be homeless. I was homeless for years, sleeping in my car when I had one, uh, in, in homeless shelters, out in the streets, under the bridges with people. I understand what it means to have loss. I understand pain. I know what it means to, I lost my mother when I was 13 years old. Uh, and then my dad, when I was 16, I understand loss. And so when we allow our stories to become transformative, and what I mean is that we don't all have to have the same stories, but we do have places where we can say, hey, you know what, this person here, I might not understand all of their story or whatever, but Father, let me lean into what they're going through. Let me try to understand why, why do you feel that way? Why do you not 
like this here? Why are you just feeling this way? So I think a lot of it is our lives. And I think, again, when we allow the Lord to transform even things we've gone through in life. And I say this, some of my friends will say, well, MJ, everybody hasn't been homeless. They haven't gone through trauma like you. And I said, you don't have to. I said, all you need is to see people who need something more than what they have. That's compassion. When Jesus and the disciples saw the multitudes, I don't know that they were hungry at that moment. But what I do believe is that they saw so many people who needed something more than what they have. And then how do we step into these places? And and I think empathy right now is huge, you know, because we look at the pandemic that we're in, we look at society. I mean, I'll just say this one last thing. Every classroom I walk in, I'm a law professor, and then I also teach uh, communications. Every time I walk into a classroom, I realize that I am going to have to be an empathetic instructor, not just a doctor who will be facilitating a classroom learning experience, but how do I walk into a classroom and see my students as learners who are going through life's problems and, and, and hurts and pains, and how do I walk with them through those journeys? Mm-hmm. I I want to ask you about how how do you go about like recovering from because at least from my experience like mm-hmm. using empathy and listening a lot is is tiring even it can be really exhausting at times what helps you like in the recovery process for that yeah it it, it does become tiring and it's really it really becomes tiring because I do a lot of ministry uh, we call it street ministry per se you know with people who really are not being discipled. And then when they do find someone, they just lean into that and you hear all this stuff and it goes, oh my gosh, when we go home, I'm like, I need a Coke, a Coke on the rocks or something here. <laughs> but you know, I honestly always think about assignments in life and purpose. And my thought is, okay, Lord, you've allowed me to connect with these people or this person. What is my part of this that you want me to really lean into? And what is the part that you don't want me to carry with me? Because if that were the case, you know what I mean, Caleb, we would be, I would be just, oh my gosh, overwhelmed all the time because everything that I do is, is with people, you know, who are going through tough times, you know, it could be a classroom setting, it could be pastoring, whatever it is. So I really just, I, I really just ask the Lord to help me not to carry the burden so much to be there for people, to pray for them, to do what he wants me to do, but to realize what my assignments are. That's why even the book, you know, I might be getting ahead of myself, but even the book that I wrote, the reason why it was so significant for me to write this book about the beauty of diverse friendships is because I have friends who also speak into my life. Mm -hmm. And part of recovery for me is being able to say to my friends, I am just so just, I'm down, I'm tired, I'm burnt out. I've listened to 12 things today and they've been horrendous things. And then I go home and I don't have anyone there for me. How do I, you know, make it through this? And so I've allowed myself to have friends who speak into my life as well. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you mentioned is you talked about uh like the the pain and all of the loss that you've been through. What helped you what helped you get through that? Well, yeah, I just think, well, when I gave my life to the Lord, actually, I mean, before I, you know, a BC just kind of before Christ, 
uh, that whole situation was just horrible because I didn't have any hope. I just really didn't. I mean, I was always thinking about, oh my gosh, life would be better if I wasn't here. I hate to say that, but you know, it's just the truth. You know, you wonder why do people think about not being here or ending their lives and it's unthinkable, but sometimes the pain gets so dark. It's so deep. And so my life and coming through all the journeys that I've come through in life has really been kind of just a combination of one, really pressing into Jesus. And what I mean is not pressing into, oh my gosh, I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to read 12 scriptures or whatever. Sometimes I can do that, whatever, you know, or I study. But there's times when I just lay prostrate on my face and I said, Father, I am nothing. I have nothing. I can't even pray. I don't know what to say, but what I know is that I need something that I can't give myself and I can't heal myself. There's sometimes people mean well, they try to speak into my life, but they don't have what I need either. And so my life of healing and coming through pain, not just in the past, but even, you know, you go through present pain of so much stuff. And, and again, I just lean into Jesus. I really do. And I ask him to help me. And again, I, I try to also, I'm a very positive person. And what I mean is I'm not, I'm not a superficial person. How are you, MJ? Oh, things are just absolutely wonderful. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, it's a mess. It's like a hot mess. Okay. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so even with it being a hot mess, I'm like, I'm going to ask God to send what I need. If he sends it to a person, if he sends it just through calming my spirit, but I'm going to receive it however he sends it. One, one other thing I want to ask you, and then we'll talk about the book, is uh, what, what have you learned following Jesus that might be a surprise to the average person? Hmm. That's a great question. Yeah, what have I learned following Jesus that might... You know, I believe that what I have personally learned is that, and I'll say this here since I'm on here, that I've learned Jesus is not punishing us as people would cause us to think. I've learned that the heart and nature of the Father is so loving and so forgiving. And and I've also learned that he's not consumed with me saying, oh my gosh, here's my role. I'm leading people. I'm a pastor. I've got to have it all together. He's like, no, you don't. And so what I'm learning is the heart of Father God, the heart of a daddy. And it's not surprising necessarily, but I do believe also that walking a faith journey for me, and the faith journey is that you know, I, yeah, I have degrees and all of that. And I always make this really fun joke for myself, not others. And I was like, I have more degrees than a thermometer. I've got, I've got all kinds of things. I've been to school. I've just always been ambitious. I love a lot of things. And I'm glad that I have the opportunity. But I don't lean on my giftings. I don't lean on my strength. I don't even lean on what I've accomplished. I really don't. I lean on the Lord and I allow him to take whatever pain I've had and to transform that, you know, he, and, and I always go to the trading post and I'm like, father, I've got some ashes. You said you would give an exchange of beauty for ashes. So I've got an ash heap here. I'm coming to the trading post. I need an exchange. Mm-hmm. So you've also written this book called the colors of culture. And I always love uh, hearing from people who have created, whether it be a book or a piece of art 
or whatever it might be. I love hearing the story behind mm-hmm. the piece. And I'm just curious, what, what led you to want to write this book? Yeah, I am. Um, so I was, I was given this wonderful gift of being invited to Vietnam in 2005, being invited to Vietnam as a professor to teach international business at Hanoi University, actually three schools. And um, so the book came about through my life of being in Vietnam for four, five to six years. And what I learned in Vietnam, when I got off the plane in Vietnam, I was so afraid. I was just like, oh my gosh, are there any black people in Vietnam, in Hanoi? And I'm not going. And so anyway, I had all this stuff. But when I got off the plane in Vietnam, I was so welcome. I was so loved. My years in Vietnam uh, with students, with people walking the streets of Hanoi, be becoming an insider, not an outsider. Um, I was given the name Jenai. So Jenai, is, it, it's a, a name it has been around a while, Chinese derivative, but it means one who loves the people. And as I lived in Vietnam and worked in Vietnam and ate in the streets and they saw me in my panic attacks, they saw when I didn't like rats and crawling across my desk, they saw me screaming, they saw all of it and they loved me. You know, I rode on the back back of motorbikes, you know, I walked through the streets of Hanoi, people were like, are you Whoopi Goldberg? I go, no. Are you... Open Winfrey, no. Are you Beyonce? I go, well, so then they started calling me Beyonce. They go, this is Beyonce. And so what I learned from my experiences in Vietnam is that we forget the human part of who we are. We are like all others from a human, human standpoint. And then there's the learned culture. And so when I realized there's so much beauty in how we relate to people, friendships, I was like, oh my gosh, I just wanted, I started writing down my journals from Vietnam. And then I went to Africa and I have a medical background. And so I worked in the AIDS clinic close to the Sudan. I went to Kenya and Ethiopia. Then I was invited into a rainforest to do leadership training for people who were fighting over coconuts and who should own the coconut groves. And so I went and did leadership training. And so at some point, my friends was like, MJ, you have traveled all over the world. You have sat in some places most people have not. You should start writing down what did God show you? How did you relate to people? And so that's how the book, The Colors of Culture, because I believe we so camp on race. That's what we talk about. White, Black, you know what I'm saying? Disusing that we camp on it. And so, or either we'll say, oh, I'm just colorblind. And I'm like, you don't have to be colorblind. You can love beautiful everything, beautiful people, but you don't relate to people based on outward stuff. And so I wanted to write a book that would mirror and reflect friendships from around the world. And, and, and it's, not a, it's, a, it's a fun book, it's a joyful book, but it's also a truthful book about how, when I didn't get it right, you know, when I had my racist, racist rants that I had against people who didn't look like me, when I said all these things about people that I never got to know. So I just kind of put it out there and how God taught me and how he has helped me learn about his people. And that there's so much beauty that we we don't get a chance to experience because of fear. So that's why the 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 colors of culture, and again, the colors to play on the words, the colors of culture, that culture is colorful, it's amazing because Jesus created it. 
And that when we just get past kind of all the other stuff that we see going on and we realize that we didn't create ourselves, but that we are created in the Imagio data image of God. And that when we learn the value, worth and dignity of all people, then that's how we can have empathy. And that's how we relate. So that's how it's stories from around the world everywhere. <laughs> yeah. What? What did you do whenever you first like got to Vietnam to to learn about the culture of the people and then to learn about people as well? Um, I allowed myself to really become an insider and to be invited as an insider. So what that would mean for me is that initially when I got there, you know, I was staying in, in a hotel, international hotel, and I go, oh, geez, you know, we're eating hamburgers and french fries. It's the same thing, you know. And when I said, hey, you know, I want to live on the grounds of the university, you know, international housing. And, and they said, well, MJ, you know, it's just rats and everything. I go, oh, I know, but I still want to go. I want to be with you. And when I allow myself to suspend all of my judgments about being in Vietnam, when I really began to just allow myself to be a friend, to be befriended, to, 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 to try other foods that I wouldn't have normally tried. I have a really fun thing I'll say that at one point I was there in Vietnam, maybe my third year. And so the faculty at the university and students, they, they said, MJ, you're going to be the honored guest. I was like, wow, what does that mean? They said, you'll know when you get there. But it is like, we have all, we, we love you now. And so when I got there, it was this huge fish that they had boiled and they had eyeballs eyes and eyelids and stuff and I said well what do I do with that they said we pluck out the eyes and we give it to you and then you eat it and it's part of our welcoming you and I said truly I am not worth such an honor I can't do it <laughs> just cannot but I did I ate an eyeball eyelashes and all and I just have learned something here's what I learned is that instead of being so guarded about making mistakes, you know, I'm going to make a mistake. I'm going to say the wrong thing. Well, maybe so. But if we live our lives like that, you know, oh my gosh, I can't relate to this person. Then we'll never make friends and they'll never see us as human beings. You know, they'll never see us. You know, they began to see me, not just a doctor going to coming to Vietnam and a professor. They saw me as a woman who would love them. You know, I, I love them. You know, I, I value listening to their stories. I prayed for them. You know, I, I, I did things that I would not have normally done, you know, going underwater in caves, even though they had to pull me out because I had a panic attack. When they pulled me out, they would go, MJ. I said, I tried, I'm trying. So, so what, they, what, I, what I did in Vietnam is, I didn't go to Vietnam as a person and positioning myself over the culture. I did not. I went to Vietnam with cultural humility so that I could learn from the people that I was serving. What helped you like enter with that approach? Because that, I feel like that is just a whole nother thing. Uh, like what, what helped you develop that mentality? Because I think about the life of Jesus again, you know, and I think of John 4, I just bring that up with the Samaritan woman. I think a lot of churches and people minister and preach that passage about the Samaritan woman. But the thing that stands out to me is that Jesus was intentional and in going to a place where everybody else was trying to avoid. And I don't know, I can't read into the scriptures. I don't know why he left the disciples. Maybe they weren't quite ready, but he crossed gender, race, lifestyle. He put himself 
in a position to risk what everybody would think about him. And so if my life is going to mirror the life of Jesus, I've got to come out of my places of comfort. I can't just be with people that I like or I feel comfortable with. Even if they, sometimes we will group ourselves with people of like, they will be different races and we'll sit with them, but they think just like us. <laughs> We're never challenged by anything. So we all sit together, we look differently, you know? And so I intentionally come out of my places of comfort so that I can become the life of Jesus without saying anything, without opening the Bible, without quoting the scripture. I just want my life to be the incarnational life of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Something that you've mentioned, you've mentioned it a few times in here. You talked about the power of not judging others. Mm-hmm. What has helped you learn to suspend like your judgment of others? Because that's a, that's a tough thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. I just, you know, I've just really made an intentional decision. I'm not going to do that. I've been judged a lot. I've been judged as an African-American woman throughout my life. I've been judged by my hair. Hey, you don't want to wear dreads. You don't want to wear your hair like that. Make sure it's this or that. Or make sure you articulate your words, MJ. Make sure you speak well. So that's okay, guys. So, you know, you, you're really a good person to be a black woman. So I've been judged. I've been judged. Do you like Snoop Dogg? Do you like rap? I'm like, no, I like country music. Okay, let's, let's settle this right here. So because of things that I've experienced, I'm very intentional. And I keep, you know, I use this word a lot, intentional. I'm very intentional to not do the same thing to others that I don't like done to me. I am very intentional to have empathetic understanding, to suspend judgments, and, and, it, and it's a choice. Here's the thing about it, you know, it's because sometimes I have friends who might say, well, MJ, I can't help but judge. I said, well, I can't speak into that for you, but we have to make intentional efforts to be different, not just to do something different. We can't do anything different uh, in this world that is so riddled with racism and war and violence and hate unless we become different. And becoming different means that take a risk. You know, I tell people, I go to different parts of the town and city. I go and eat in restaurants. You know, I might like buy chicken and collard greens and stuff, but I don't just always eat collard greens and sweet potato pie. I go with my friends to their restaurants, you know, Japanese restaurant or Korean. I go intentionally so that I can befriend people, so that I can connect with them. You know, again, I'm very intentional about going through the Samarias you know, the places that are deemed Samaria. I'm very intentional about going to places where people have written off, even if it's places where people will not think. I mean, I'm, I'm involved now with, a, again, predominantly white church here in Colorado Springs, and we have this movement for nine weeks, and we're saying, let's do it. There's a model of something different here because, because talking about it now, I'm telling you, we're in a time now where talking is going to be a mute point if we don't really do something different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What um, what have you learned gets in the way of of us forming diverse friendships? You talked about fear. Is there anything else that gets in the way of us forming those types of friendships? Yeah, I think it's fear. And I think it's also several things. One is sometimes if a person has had any encounter with somebody from a different race or ethnicity, and it's been a not so good encounter, people are a little bit more timid to reach out and be intentional. Or they might say, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm walking on eggshells now. You know, do I call you black? Do I call you 
African-American, what's the correct term for First Nations? And sometimes it feels like too much. It's like, oh, okay, you guys do that. You know, mm-hmm. I'll just be here. But I think, you know, several things. One is that we've also been so meteorized. I use that, not like a meteorite, but I call it meteorized with our media, that we have images every day of how certain people are. This is their culture. This is what they do. This is their lifestyle or whatever. And so what we see, social media, whatever, all of that stuff so impacts people's ability to step across their places of comfort and to grow because it's like, oh my gosh, you know, you look at all of this here. And and it was interesting to me because I travel a lot and I do diversity training and cultural training. There's so many good things happening in our world today and very rarely are they shown in the media. The things that we see are people at odds with each other, you know, fighting and disputing stuff all the time. And yet there are people who are stepping out of their comfort zone to do something different. There's a quote, um, it says, there is no comfort when we are in a place of growth and there will never be any growth if we choose to remain in a place of comfort. And so we want to grow, we want to impact. And I think for believers, I'll say this here again, that we are ambassadors here on earth. And so if an ambassador comes to represent something different different place we are representing jesus and so as ambassadors we have we can't be fearful as ambassadors we cannot because the church has to lead the way right now and the church being us the church being us walking in walmart in the parking lot or wherever just using that in our business places you know i I'm with a lot of uh, Gen Z's, Gen I's, you know, I'm with a lot of young people and we do a lot of fun stuff together and it draws people because people are kind of ready, Caleb, to see some unified stuff right now. You know, there's there's a whole cadre of people who are like, oh my gosh, I feel like getting some love beads and just seeing we are the world, you know, what do we do? So I think the learning comes from, Again, allowing the Lord, praying, allowing the Lord to settle us in what he wants us to do, being courageous to do that, not positioning ourselves above any culture. We don't have to agree with people to still be able to value their lived experiences. Because one thing I say is that I tell people, your opinions about things never trumps over a person's lived experiences. Might not understand my friends from Cambodia, but they have lived experiences. I might not understand, you know, young people who are homeless. I might not understand it, but my opinions don't trump over people's lived experiences. And I think, again, when I thought about, think about Vietnam and all my years overseas, when I came back to America, the Lord said to me, will you still love my people when you're in America? I didn't quite understand it. I was like, really? He said, yeah. He said, there's Vietnamese people in your neighborhood. I allowed you to go overseas, but I brought the the nations here to America. So now you have a choice. Yeah. You you mentioned uh, how critically important it is for the church to lead the way whenever it comes to diversity. Can you just just expound and say more about that? Yes, I just I just really believe we, we're the answer. What I mean is that, again, not a building, but we as a body of Christ. Because if people don't see us unified, I mean, we're the church. We're talking about the Lord, and we, we want people to come to know Jesus. 
But if we're not relational, if, if Sunday mornings are some of the most segregated times in our congregations where people, where congregations are diverse or culturally diverse, where people who go to church, if I use that now, you know, we're kind of zooming, but again, looking at our lives and seeing that the church has an answer. It's an answer of love. People think the word love is weak. It's not a weak word. It's not. We try to assign all these different words about how we bring change and stuff, but true transformation and, and change will only come when we allow love to be the weapon of choice. Mm-hmm. I think uh, another thing that comes with this is sometimes uh, the risk of being misunderstood or even criticized at times. What has helped you? What has helped you deal with times to whenever you've been criticized, brothers, for pursuing diverse relationships or even misunderstood through it all? Yeah, no, it doesn't matter. I mean, I just, I just come to a point. I have friends from all cultures. My best friend is a blonde, blue-eyed soul queen. She teaches me black music. She teaches me how to dance. And she's like, MJ, you got to come up, okay? So it really doesn't matter to me. You know, and when we get to the point where it doesn't matter, I think I think one of the things that hinders us from really building diverse relationships is that we can't be so concerned about what other people think. You know what I mean? I'm, and I'm just saying that just love people. It's too much beauty in in getting to know folks, you know, to get to know other cultures. I love, you know, I have friends from all backgrounds, all walks of life, and I learn so much. They teach me languages, you know, I learn Spanish, I Vietnamese, you know, I want to learn Mandarin. And I'm like, why? It's too beautiful. It's too beautiful a thing that Jesus has given to us. And so to to quote Revelation 7 and 9, that when John said, I saw a multitude of all kindred, all people, all races and all. So that's not just heaven is going to be amazing, but we have earth. And so I believe in thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. And it doesn't matter if I'm criticized. My friends are going to be my friends. I have friends with people who no one would think. You're a pastor and you have a friend with somebody with a punk rock hairdo or their lifestyle. I'm like, they're friends because we have learned how to do life together. We've learned how to celebrate each other. And again, the reality is, until we're willing to step into people's stories and allow them to step into ours, we don't have friendships. We have situations. Mm, that's good. For the person who's listening, they're like, um, I'm all on board, but there's only white people around me. or I'm only surrounded by people who are black or just the people who look like me. Like, what, what would you say to that person who's like, hey, I want to pursue diverse friendships, but everybody around me and everybody that I know looks just like me. Mm-hmm. No, I love that. And and people do say that, ask me that question. And so one of the things that I tell people is that ask the Lord to bring opportunities because, you know, we don't want to punish people because they live in a neighborhood that's all black or all white or all Vietnamese, you know, things we move where we, where we move. But if you don't have that diversity, ask the Lord to bring those opportunities. You know, you never know, you could be at a gas station and Someone is there and you just, they just, hey, you know, you start talking and you talk for an hour at the gas pump. Well, not at the pump, but you pull over and you talk. And so just ask the Lord for opportunities again, because they're all around us. And even though we might be around people who 
sometimes people around folks who look just like them or whatever, the Lord will bring those. He will. And then when he brings them, seek out intentional opportunities. If you're in a city and, and there's something, you know, that you feel, okay, you don't have to sacrifice your values and beliefs to, you know, befriend someone from another culture, but maybe there's a celebration in a city that you you know, a person has been afraid to go to. Maybe someone has never gone to a Cinco de Mayo or, hey, you know, it's a St. Paddy's Day to go do something different and to to read a book that's different, to, to, to look at a movie that challenges you, not a movie that makes you just feel good, to, to look at a movie, to, to seek out people who would, and you can ask them, hey, would you help me grow? I want to become more of a, of a cross-cultural person right here in my neighborhood. And, and while there might not be a lot of diversity in my neighborhood around, because America, you know, we have become a very diverse nation. So I would just say, pray and ask the Lord for those strategic opportunities in your workplace, that um, that person by the water cooler every day, that's smiling and maybe it could be an opportunity to say, hey, you want to have tea together or something like that. So allow allow God to, to bring those opportunities, and then when they come, to embrace them. And I'll just say this in Acts 8, you know, it talks about the, when Philip was invited into the chariot of the Ethiopian eunuch, a Black man who had been rejected everywhere, he didn't just run and hop up in his chariot. <laughs> he was like, hey, man, what you doing? No, he was invited. He, and so when he was invited, he went in there. He wasn't fearful. And so, you know, be mindful of the God moments where perhaps God is saying, here's an invitation for you. One final thing I want to ask you is just talk about how has your life been different since you've started pursuing diverse relationships? Yes. Yeah, so I've always pursued, I know this doesn't sound, but I've always pursued diverse relationships. It, it's, it's, it's who I am. It's my lifestyle. And so even when I was growing up in the projects in inner city Chicago, I had my moments where I was like, I don't think I like white people. I don't think I like these people or whatever, you know, because of personal encounters I had. But even in my high school, when the first um, white person came to my room, I was like, ooh, ooh. And so here's an opportunity. And I went and sat by her at lunch. You know, I befriended her. You know, I even started uh, taking my backpack when I was in Chicago and getting on the bus and riding like an hour into the suburbs of Chicago, going to events so that I could meet different people. And and even in my alley, I lived in the, in a place where we had a little alleyway and we had some people from, who were Middle Eastern who, who moved into our neighborhood. And so I started this little leadership thing in the alley. I said, with with 13 year olds, I was like, hey, here's the leadership thing. Everybody comes, I'm gonna give you candy and stuff. And so I had all these little kids from diverse backgrounds back there. So it has been in my DNA. I've always just seen people as people, honestly. Yeah. Well, Melinda Joy, I know that people are gonna wanna pick up your book and continue to learn and follow you. Where's the best place for people to go to do those things? Yeah, they can um, go to Amazon and just type in the colors of culture the beauty of diverse friendships and you can pre-order it. It'll be out in a few weeks actually, or either can go to the site uh, where the publisher is InterVarsity press and type in my name and see about the book. I have like a little synopsis about the book as well. Can order from there and in Barnes and Nobles, you could go online to Barnes and Nobles. Yay. And then I'll even autograph copies and we can send notes and everything. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And I think by the time that this, this 
by the time that this interview is out, the book should be out too. Yeah, it's actually in the warehouse. So, so it's, uh, you can pre-order, but um, it's on its way. Yep. Awesome. Well, Melinda Joy, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It was a true pleasure. Thank you. I so appreciate that. I appreciate your heart. Well, Melinda Joy, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It's it's always great to just get to know people. That's one of the things that I absolutely absolutely love about this podcast is the opportunity that it creates to just to just meet new people and to form new friends. And I'm so glad that that was able to happen with Melinda Joy. And so be sure to pick up Melinda Joy's uh, book as well. Go on Amazon or um, anywhere that you could find local books as well. And thank you for so much for listening to today's episode of the Learner's Corner podcast. You know, on this podcast, we want to create a safe place to have dangerous conversations because we truly believe that we can learn from anyone, from everyone, from anything, and from everything. And so if you have someone or if you have something that you would love us to talk about on this podcast, go ahead and just reach out to me on my Instagram handle. It is at Caleb J. Mason. Would love to hear from you. Would love to hear what you're learning about who you're learning about, any good books or podcasts or anything like that, that you're learning as well. And so thank you so much for listening to today's uh, episode of the Learner's Corner podcast. The best way to make sure that you don't miss a single episode is by subscribing on whatever podcast player you use, whether that be Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Overcast, or if you're like me and you use Spotify, just go ahead and hit that follow button and you'll never miss a single episode. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Learner's Corner podcast. My name is Caleb Mason, and until next time, keep learning and keep growing.